Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about should future trends drive investment decisions? So when searching for future returns, sometimes people turn their mind to uh, whatever the popular trend or narrative is uh, at any particular time and then think about, you know, how can they invest in a way that's going to benefit. So things like green energy, um, mainstream adoption of electric vehicles, uh, greater focus on cyber security, these sorts of trends uh, can can invite people to really think about, well, how can I invest today so the, if tr- this trend persists, as a lot of people might expect, that, that I'm going to benefit from that. And the theory is that if you can get in at the early stage of a trend, well, then you can potentially ride that economic wave uh, and generate some pretty healthy uh, investment returns. This way of investing is called thematic investing. So in terms of a short definition then, I guess you could say that thematic investing seeks to capitalise on mega trends or long-term structural changes. So these aren't just small things, they're really big things if you like. And really, there's probably three broad categories of thematic investing. The first one is changing demographics. Uh, So an example there would be Chinese ageing population, you know, that's going to create some risks and opportunities in the future. Technological innovation. Well, I think that's a really popular one and a really obvious one. Uh, And then third, uh, climate change. So again, could be green energy, electric vehicles and, and so forth. And therefore, the goal of thematic investing is then to select the companies or industries or sectors or or indexes that are likely to benefit the most from these trends playing out. So, for example, let's take uh, EVs, uh, electronic vehicles. Um, They're likely to uh, benefit from increased demand from consumers. And I think just travelling around Europe recently, um, probably the biggest thing that I noticed is that the the amount of EVs that are getting around in Europe compared to Australia, it's substantially more. But you know, as as the country has a greater focus on climate change and and dealing with those matters, as individuals, we can make those choices to you know reflect our, I guess, views and concerns. Uh, and it, it wouldn't be a surprise that, you know, if we see electric vehicle, you know, the sales of electric vehicles in Australia, but also most importantly globally to increase substantially over the next period of time. I don't think that's really sticking my neck out. I think that's a pretty obvious trend. But if you agree with that thesis, then you might not only be attracted to investing in EV manufacturers, which really even the traditional uh, combustion engine manufacturers are starting to uh, they're all starting to turn their mind or they're all probably already have EV models that they're selling. Um, but you could also consider downstream industries such as battery manufacturers, sensor manufacturers, uh, r- uh, rare material miners like li- lithium, for example. Australia is the largest ex- exporter of lithium. So thematic investing can be quite a complex uh, strategy to uh, put together, I guess, you've got to have a deep understanding of the trend, uh, really understand its risks and opportunities, and then think about the industries and manufacturers, uh, either upstream or downstream, that are going to benefit from uh, that trend persisting, if that's what you're anticipating. Now, one of the big challenges with thematic investing is being right. You know, 
can you really pick the trend? Uh, and particularly at the early stages, you know, trends can uh, can run out of steam very quickly or can end up doing a U-turn and going in a different direction. And the problem also is that often our expectations, our future expectations, are shaped by our worldview, personal experiences, the dominant narrative of the day, you know, all these sorts of things which may or may not be useful uh, in making investment decisions. For example, if I am a climate change activist and I've got very strong views uh, in that regard, maybe I will have very strong views that everyone's going to one day drive an electric vehicle, which may or may not be the case. But my point is that if we have really strong views that aren't related to investment decisions, bringing those strong views into investment decisions always doesn't serve us because that's not how markets work and um, the markets are made up of lots of different uh, participants that have uh, different vested interests and different views and outcomes and so forth. So uh, that's always going to be the challenge uh, that things change or that our own view uh, impacts those investment decisions. So uh, take EVs for, again, electronic vehicles. I'm going to pick on them a little bit because they're kind of a popular theme. You know, of course, over the last sort of 10 or more years, there's been uh, substantial advancements made with respect to electronic vehicles and probably the biggest one being the, you know, time in between charge, you know, the distance in which they can travel. But they've still got lots of challenges ahead of them in terms of uh, battery storage, uh, trying to reduce manufacturing costs, uh, faster charging, uh, a big one, battery recycling, and, and also lifetime, extending the lifetime of the, the EV battery. A lot of those things are you know, important challenges that need to be solved and that will, will definitely be solved over the next couple of decades. Um, but the answer might rest with something other than lithium batteries. You know, maybe there's an alternative technology that hasn't been de- uh, discovered yet. And that's where the inherent risk is in, in thematic investing, because you really are trying to predict the future. But we all know how trends uh, ultimately play out is inherently difficult to predict. But do you need to really predict returns? Because an argument can be made that you actually don't need to predict returns. And then when actual themes eventually materialise and, and uh, create value, so that is profitable businesses and sectors, they'll eventually be included in traditional share market indices anyway. So do you really need to you know, be in the forefront and take all that risk? Now, I share a really interesting chart put together by uh, Research Affiliates, a, a US-based firm, um, in the, the links in the show notes, of course, and the blog on the website. And what this chart does is uh, set out the top 10 uh, companies by value uh, each decade in the 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, and so forth, global companies. So some of them are US, of course, or most of them are US, uh, others are from, from Europe, emerging markets, and, and so on and so forth. And the really interesting thing is the top 10 companies change dramatically or substantially from one decade to the next. For example, in the 2000s, Intel, the company Intel, uh, was number six. Uh, and then it dropped out of the top 10 in 2010. Uh, and it's still not in the, the top 10 in 2020. Um, and I picked Intel because it's a tech company and tech's really been killing it, of course. Um, maybe not of maybe not in the last couple of months, but uh, certainly in the last 10 years. So, you know... Indexes do change over time, 
And when companies start to uh, generate profits and returns and their value, that value is reflected in their share price, then their weighting within the, in the index will change. And so indexes aren't stupid. You know, they evolve over time and they start leaning towards sectors or markets or geographical segments or industries that are really at the forefront of that change and where the market thinks that the future value will lie. And so really that, that's reflected in the current indices, for example. So some of the trends, you know, the big, the big uh, thematic trends are cybersecurity and healthcare, healthcare because of a changing demographic. Uh, and so it's no surprise that these two sectors now represent uh, 35% of the global index, you know. And so naturally, if you're an index investor, you are also then arguably a thematic investor as well because how indexes change. Of course, the main downside risk to index investing is that you're not you're not you're li- missing that first mover advantage. You know, when a an industry or a technology or a product is at its infancy, and if you can get in at that time and you're correct, it's actually going to take off. Uh, well, the returns are, are substantial, but the risk is that, and particularly with thematic investing, that you know you're not going to get ten out of ten right. In fact, it's difficult to get one out of ten right to be realistic about it. So whilst the returns are there, the risk is high. And conversely, uh, by index investing, you're taking a lot of the risk out and certainly you're going to forego some of those returns as well. But you don't need to pick the industries. You don't need to pick the thematics and you don't need to be right. You've just got to follow an evidence-based, rules-based approach. Now, having said all that, if you are interested in thematic investing, you'll be interested to know that there's over 30 thematic investing ETFs that are listed on the Australian Stock Exchange that will give you exposures to certain thematics. Uh, Unfortunately, most of them don't have a track record because they're relatively new. Most of them haven't been around for more than three years. And that's my first uh, concern with these products is that you need to have a track record of returns and mostly uh, most important performance. You know, how do they perform? You might not get the returns because maybe the market's been smashed in a particular sector, but how is the ETF performed compared to how you expected it to perform? Is it really reflecting the thematic that you're seeking? And unless you have a, a track record, that's impossible to work out. My second concern with some of these is that they you've really got to look into the construction of the underlying index that they're following. You know, often um, ETFs will seek to create as much diversification as possible, but with diversifying, you end up potentially watering down the effectiveness of attacking a particular thematic. And so what will happen is that if we're after a particular thematic, there might be a handful of companies that just do that one thing that you're after, and then there's a whole bunch more companies that do that one thing, but it's part of, you know, maybe it's only 5% of the company or 10% of the company, and they might throw them into the index. So they're, they're what's might be called non-core companies. They throw them in the index, but you're really watering down the index. And really in that situation, you might actually be better off with, you know, an actively managed high conviction fund rather than index style product. So it doesn't always say, it doesn't always do what, what it says on the tin, you know, so if it's an e- a particular ETF, you really got to look into the construction of the index. And finally, um, just as a, an aside, really, uh, you've really got to understand how big is that ETF, so how much money is invested in it, 
because if it if it's not sustainable for the ETF provider to run it, uh, then it will eventually disappear. In which case, then you either got to crystallise a loss or a capital gain. But but either way, if you want to invest in a product or invest in the thematic for say a five year period. Well, it's not going to work if the ETF provider pulls that product after two years. Uh, in fact, you could end up losing money as a result of that. So an ETF really has to attract around about $50 million to in Australia to make it viable. Uh, so if you're considering ETF and it's got less invested than that, then you really got to consider the risk of that product being wound up and um, as a result not being able to pursue that investment strategy. Another way to use thematic investing is to have a core and satellite strategy. So your core strategy might be, look, 80 or 90% of my investments will be in a core strategy. So the stuff that I talk about, which is broad-based indexing, rules-based approach, utilizing various indexing strategies, but not trying to predict, uh, predict trends or take really um, substantial risks. And then the satellite part of your portfolio might be might account for 10 or 20%, and that might include your thematic investing and as well as you know, any other sort of styles of investing. So it doesn't have to be all in. Uh, you can introduce some thematic investing into your uh, investment approach. However, I don't use thematic investing either personally, nor do I recommend it to my clients um, because for all the reasons that I just um, alluded to, it's a high risk strategy, so you know it doesn't always pay off. Uh, and also, I can already get those exposures in the different types of index products uh, and index strategies that we utilise within um, what we do at, at Pro Solution. So I think it's already reflected in what we do, and why take that additional risk, and they do come at additional higher cost. But the most important reason that I don't use thematic investing is that my goal is not to achieve the highest absolute return. Let me say that again because it might sound really strange for a financial advisor to say this, but my goal is not to achieve the highest absolute return because I know that if you do that, if you end up chasing returns, you'll end up taking unacceptable risk or ultimately, and as the evidence shows, you actually in the long run will underachieve in terms of returns. My goal is to maximize longer term performance and the best way to do that is to achieve a return of 7 or 8% per annum on average for the next 30 years. If you do that, you will absolutely beat 99% of other investors out there. It doesn't sound exciting or sexy um, and it doesn't sound extraordinary, but it is absolutely extraordinary if you can do that because the results are uh, outstanding. For example, if I invest... Uh, achieve a 7.5% return for the next 20 years, my investment will be worth four times than what it is today. So I invest $100 in 20 years, it's $400. Okay, that's okay. If I hold it for another 10 years, so 30 years in total, it'll be worth nine times what it's worth today, $900. Nine times your assets in 30 years. That is, is the power of compounding growth. And the only way you're going to do that is if you aim for maximizing long-term returns. If you aim for maximizing short-term returns and you think oh, I can achieve something above average and earn 12% in the next year, all you'll end up doing is making a mistake. Uh, you'll miss the timing of it because no one really can uh, predict timing of these things, how markets behave. And I think the last couple of months is a perfect example of that. Uh, and it will fall apart and it just won't work. 
And all the evidence demonstrates that that's the case. Instead, what I do is approach it and say, if I can earn 7 or 8%, hopefully more, you know, over the next 20 years for clients, that will absolutely change their life. And most importantly, it will ensure that they meet their lifestyle goals. You really just need to have the discipline to stick to a low-cost, evidence-based, rules-based approach. And that's why investing is simple, but not easy. Simple to understand, sometimes quite challenging to implement. Okay, that's it for me for this week. Until next week, bye for now.